Uh, this is the last week we're going to talk about our last um, identity as a church family. But before we kind of get into the teaching, I want to do some housekeeping stuff real quick. Um, we'll be emailing out kind of a appli- application form. That's way too formal. And I application to form. It's a form. Yeah, application is too fancy. It's basically the form you fill out to say I want to become a member. Yes. So, and like we said from the beginning of this class, the purpose of a city church class, uh, not the membership class, the purpose of city church class is for us to kind of tell people what we believe as a church family, our core values, and why we believe the things we do. So if you are not ready to be a member, you want to just continue checking things out, totally fine. But we also want to give the option for people who want to become members an opportunity to become members. So I'll be emailing that form out, um, and that's up to you guys. And I'll say this again. It legitimately, if, you, if you've if gone through the class and you're like, I don't really think membership's for me, that is totally fine. Our feelings are not going to be hurt. Continue to hang out with us if you want to, all of that. Uh, we just, And, in fact, we would if you're not sure, we would rather you do that than you know, not really know what you're signing up for or whatever. Um, That being said, if you're like, I think I want to become a member, but I've just gotten a few other questions that I maybe don't want to ask in a group setting, uh, any of us would love to grab dinner or coffee or whatever anytime and talk through stuff if you got any concerns. Um, Just throwing that out there in case it's helpful for you. So, But basically, we'll send out a form. If you do want to become a member, you just fill out the form. It's basically just like your name and I think your address. That's probably it, yeah, right? So. Um, just so we have your info to be able to know how to contact you and all that. Um, but we'll send that out probably Monday or Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you, even if you just don't want a free dinner, just say, I have a question, and Marcus yeah. will have you over to his house yep. for dinner. He'd be glad for dinner. I got you. I got you. No problem. He's a graphic designer at UT, yeah, yeah, so he's basically a, a millionaire. Got the yeah, UT. Yeah. Got that UT money? You round up. Round up to a million. Yeah. Round up to a million. Yeah. Uh, so you, we'll get that email out, um, and I think, is that it? I feel really short compared to you guys. I'm going to sit on this pillow. It's okay, that's a TV trip. I saw it. Napoleon complex. <laughs> I just feel so short. <laughs> I'm not used to feeling short. I remember that. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, well, yeah, so we're going to hop in and do the last week is mission. So uh, our mission statement as a whole is Jesus-centered family on mission. So we arrived at the last week, which is we're going to talk about what it means to be on mission. So feel free to flip to the last third of your booklet if you got it. Um, in order to... Man, there might be extras. If not, just just act like you have the booklet and it was... Well, who needs a booklet? I don't got a booklet. Y'all are, y'all are crushing it. This is zero attrition. I, to be honest, I left mine on Kent's desk. Oh, so no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're killing it. Every day, I, I, every day I would come in here and be like, this is Brad's book. <laughs> Based on the handwriting. That's all. The hieroglyphics. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about what it means to be on mission this week. Now, maybe when you hear the word mission, it makes you think of all kinds of different things. We're going to spend a little bit unpacking specifically what we mean by mission. In order to do that, uh, we've kind of got to follow the narrative of the entire Bible, so I'm going to go fast. Um, first, we'll start in the garden, uh, and so in Genesis 2, uh, we're going to be here for a while. Get comfortable in your seats. There's um, coffee. So in Genesis 2, um, it kind of paints this picture that there was, uh, in the beginning, there was all this uncultivated land. So if you read Genesis 2, it talks about, you know, there was, there was all this kind of raw material. There are all these different kind of stones and all these different kinds of 
like horticulture and all this stuff going on, but all of it was just in a disarray. It was all chaos. There was no order to it or anything like that. So in the beginning, um, God makes Adam the first ever man and puts him in the garden and essentially says, your job is to work this land and keep it. Basically, he said to Adam, your job is to take chaos and make it into order, make it into something that makes sense. And part of that was him naming the animals and him being a gardener and all this different stuff. He gives Eve so that they basically can work on this mission together. But in essence, that's exactly what it was in the beginning. Adam was given a mission. Now, there weren't any other people yet, so his mission was not to tell everybody else about Jesus because there were no other people. But his mission was to take the blessing that he had and essentially bless the rest of creation with it. So with that in mind, fast forward to Genesis chapter 12. God comes to Abraham, who at that point is named Abram, and there's a very famous passage where God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you in order that you might be a, anybody know? I'm going to bless you so that you might be a blessing. blessing. Absolutely. Still nailing it with the book, (laughs) fill in the blank, all of that. Um, Oh, fill in the blank? No, uh, no, sorry. I just meant having having (laughs) the booklet. Um, So God essentially gives Abraham a mission too. He says, I'm going to bless you and your family, and and then I'm going to make you into a blessing. So the purpose for you being blessed is so that you might bless the rest of creation, very similar to the mission he gave Adam. Now you fast forward, if you know anything about how Israel did at fulfilling that mission, did they succeed or fail at that mission? (laughs) Not so much, right? Uh, In fact, that's a lot of what the Old Testament is, is detailed accounts of all the ways they failed in that mission. So you fast forward to the church. So let's look at 2 Corinthians. Actually, somebody want to grab this and read it out loud for us? 2 Corinthians 5 verses 17 through 21. Somebody just read that out loud on their phone or whatever. My app's being slow. Five what? Five, 17 through 21. Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Josh looks like he wants to do it. All right. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, we're reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled with God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Absolutely. So um, to me, this passage right here in 2 Corinthians 5 is one of the best summaries of what it means to be on mission. There's a lot of other places in the Bible that describe it, but to me this is one of the best and most all-encompassing passages in the Bible to talk about it. So if you think about it, it talks about how we've been reconciled with God in order to be effectively reconcilers, that we're, we've been reconciled to God and then been given the ministry of reconciliation. So that, to me, if you think about it, sounds really similar to blessed to be a blessing, right? God has given us relationship with him so that we might then represent him to the rest of the world. In fact, I would say the most succinct definition of mission um, is that line in verse 20, God making his appeal through us. That's a really good definition of mission. 
Um, so do you remember uh, our definition of the gospel back from the first class? Does anybody remember what we said the definition of the gospel was? Good news. Good news. <laughs> and then what was the, the longer one that we talked about? Jesus. That was part of it, for sure. Jesus through his... I don't know if this is like job security for me or like the opposite. <laughs> you might see it in the book. Announcement. It was an announcement. Yeah. So the gospel in its essence is. The problem an is we define it several yeah, different we ways. Different <laughs> so people, are, all these answers are correct. This is probably this is probably the last the the last yeah. one. Jesus through his life, death, and resurrecting is reconciling all things to himself. There you go. So Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection is reconciling all things to himself. So if that's the definition of the gospel, then the definition of mission is joining God in the reconciliation of all things. Mission is joining God in the reconciliation of all things. So what mission is, is simply becoming a part of what God is doing through the gospel in reconciling all things to himself. Um, so I want you to notice something else about that passage in 2 Corinthians. Um, it says, first off, in verse uh, 18, it says, Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to notice how quick that turnaround is. So virtually in the same, actually in the same sentence, he says, we've been given reconciliation with God and then given us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul doesn't even start a new sentence before he says that the reason we're reconciled to God as individuals is so that we can then become part of that reconciliation for other people. Another way to say that is that every follower of Jesus is a missionary. Every follower of Jesus is a missionary. So Paul doesn't say that God reconciled us to himself and then gave some of us the ministry of reconciliation. He doesn't say that God reconciled all of us to himself and then gave pastors and professional Christians the ministry of reconciliation. He says all of us. Any of us who say that we've been reconciled to God, that by association makes us a missionary, makes us ministers of reconciliation in his words. Um, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon back in the day said it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. If you have been reconciled to God, meaning you're a follower of Jesus, you're a Christian, that necessarily means that you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. There's no gap between those two things. Yeah, so uh, let's talk a little bit about... Um, Probably one of the biggest misperceptions about mission. Um, so when the Bible talks about mission, it almost always uses communal language um, and not individual language. So if you look back kind of like at Genesis 12 it, uh, and look really closely, um, God is saying that he's going to make, or sorry, is God saying that he's going to make Abraham a blessing to the nation? Or is he saying that he's going to make the nation that comes from Abraham a blessing? He's probably saying the nation. Part. So God's method of operation from permission has always been that there would um, that he would have a group of people um, who are blessed in order to bless the rest of the world in return. So it's always been about a group of people, not a bunch of uh, isolated individuals. So now contrast that with the way that most of us tend to think about mission, or at least 
a lot of us think about missions. So for me personally, I know that growing up back at Zion Pilgrim Baptist uh, Church uh, in my hometown, I kind of thought mission as a solo act, some basically me hanging out with people and eventually like working up the courage to introduce Jesus to them. That's kind of how, kind of how my mindset uh, work. And that's not necessarily wrong, but it's not probably a full picture of what the Lord would want that to, to kind of look like. So um, say it this way. In scripture, uh, sorry, um, but the picture in scripture is that mission is something that we usually do together. So let me show you this way. Matthew 5, can someone get that 14 through 16? Matthew 5, 14? Yep, 14 through 16. <clears throat> you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Uh, hold on a second. Yep. I mean, I want to switch to a different version. This is not my favorite version. You got to read the message remix. Yeah, I like the message. I'm just kidding. Uh, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Yeah, so... There's a popular children's song that kind of goes with this. Sing it. You don't have to sing it. Sing you don't it. have to sing it. I think Brad wants to sing it. I don't know it. Yeah, I don't know it. I don't know it. Yeah, I don't know it either. No, I really but, don't know it. Yeah, I don't. Oh, you don't? I really don't. Oh, you don't know. Oh, then we should sing it. Does actually, anybody know? It was in a uh, It was on a commercial for laundry detergent recently. Really? <laughs> Wow. So I was very surprised by it. Sing it. Interesting. Someone sing it. Someone, someone, someone say the tune. There you go. Is it? Oh, oh Ryan wants to sing it. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. <laughs> What'd you say? What'd you say? No, we're yeah, we're good. I was like, so I was eating the title. 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 I was Yep. That was oh. good, guys. That's the that best thing in this class so far. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, all right. To bring it back. Um, so yeah. So when you hear uh, this little light of mine, there kind of lies like the problem, but <laughs> the mine part because it's my light. It, yeah, <laughs> you're thinking it as kind of your light. Um, so if you look back at the passage. Um, what is um, the other way like Jesus describes the light? So if we look back at Matthew 5, what does Jesus say there? It is a what on a hill? City. Yep. So we all know this, but a city doesn't imply one person, correct? A very small city. That would, that would kind of be a, almost it's like a, a... It's a tent. It's a tent. Usually <laughs> a tent on a hill. That's kind of what you would... Yeah, you would call that. Um, so do you see how we took a passage that shows the beauty of us um, being on mission together as a family and made it individualistic in a way? Do you see that? So kind of what um, I want to see is that according to the vast majority of the Bible, mission is not an individual thing, but a communal thing. Mission is not an individual thing, but a communal thing. So according to scripture, mission is something we do. It's not something, um, it's not just something I do, right? It's, it's something that we do. So God's mission is a team sport, and um, 
here's uh, here's why it's such a good thing. Most of us, or at least for me personally, um, will probably feel very um, intimidated by an individual like mission type thing, or individual being an individual missionary, um, just because that's um, a lot of pressure or a lot of weight on your shoulder um, to kind of go at it alone. So the first reason for for this is that mission is easier together. Mission is easier together. So imagine for me for just a few seconds um, about this whole idea. So I work at UT, right? So I work at UT, I'm a graphic designer there. And make a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I make a million, <laughs> round up, round up to a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and have a lot of coworkers there, and I kind of hang out with this one guy. And I just always go by his office to kind of talk and just shoot the breeze or whatever the kids call it these days. So we just talk, and I don't know. Uh, we start talking, and come to find out, eventually, he loves CrossFit. Now, if you look at me... <laughs> Sorry, was that you supposed to Yeah, no, you're supposed to laugh. That was actually a joke. That was, that was a joke. Yeah. Um, if you look at me, I, I, I'm not a CrossFit guy. Like, I'm, I'm not a CrossFit. That shirt is so tight, though. Uh, <laughs> good. You at least got that part. At least perception. Um, but, um, so yeah, so I don't know anything about CrossFit. The little bit that I do know is because of other people, but not my thing, and. If mission were an individual thing, then that conversation would probably just die, right? So I'd probably be kind of done, like, okay, well, he loves CrossFit, ah, whatever, I'm kind of done with this guy. But because I know that mission um, is a communal thing, it is something that we do together, I can be like, oh, hey, like, Hayden, who also works here, um, he actually loves CrossFit a lot, and if you just look at him, you know that he loves CrossFit a lot. (laughs) He's thick. Like, not, like... Me horizontally thick. He's thick this way. Oh yeah. When I hug him, I can't, I can't touch my other hand when I hug him. He's just very true. He's CrossFit. He he is CrossFit. Literally, we call him CrossFit. Um, <laughs> or muscle bear. But I've um, never heard you call him CrossFit. We call him muscle bear though. Muscle bear as well. <laughs> well there we go. <laughs> um, all that to say is that I can introduce him to. Hayden and they can strike up a relationship and actually hang out with one another um, and then mission becomes more of a hey together thing so let me keep going on with the story so I continue to hang out with Kevin um, I don't even know if I said his name but we'll say his name is Kevin so I continue to hang out with Kevin go by his office again continue to talk we go to lunch together and eventually the conversation kind of takes another turn and he loves comics and he's wanting to kind of get back into that genre for whatever reason. Now, I know a little bit, just a little bit about comics, and I can kind of talk talk my, way, talk my way around it, but I also know that there are a few guys in our life group that love comics way more than me. I mean, some of them probably have a billion D comics, potentially. Just but potentially. So, I would probably um, be like, hey, Kevin, you should hang out with these two guys, Jason and Ryan, Maybe hypothetically someone that's in this room, but hang out with Jason and Ryan because these guys know it a whole lot better um, than I do. And also I get to kind of join in on that because I know it a little bit. And also because it's Kevin, I get to um, continue that relationship. And so if you can see it, um, 
all the pressure is it's not on me now it's it's not on me to be like hey like i have to tell you about jesus i am the only person that can tell you about jesus it's a communal thing it's something that we can do together um, as a life group which is really cool um so mission is not just easier together it's also um better together so mission is better together sorry i went a little fast mission is better together so one of the ways that jesus says people will know where his disciples about how we love one another um, how do people see how we love one another if they don't um, hang around us if they're not around us they need to actually see the way we live life together as a church family the, um, the way that we encourage one another the way that we challenge one another um, all different aspects even the way that we fight with one another right so um, and the way that we fail one another um, and how do we deal with sin between um, each other so all of that so and the hope is that um, is that they see the way we interact with another uh, with one another and it raises questions and then when we talk to them about the gospel they go oh I get it. I see that you. Okay, I see it. I get it. I get it. I see why you guys act like that. So, that's kind of the hope is that we would um, be a representation of Christ and show off uh, kind of who He is through us in all different aspects of life. That is the hope versus just an individual thing because it's kind of hard to do that um, from that standpoint. Like it's really, it would seemingly be very hard to do that. Yeah, can, can I that, interject real quick? Yeah. So, I'm going to put you on the spot, Josh. We're close enough. I can do that. Oh, okay. uh, so, a, a fun example that we have seen this played out is actually how Josh even came around us in the first place. That's true. Because, like, Josh and Hannah been got to know each other for a while before most of us were, you know, got to move to Knoxville. So, you guys hung out for, like, what, six to ten months? Yeah. Before we all moved. Yeah. So, just on and off because, like, you know, you and Hayden will play Ultimate together, hang out. And Hayden, but you're trying to hang out with Josh and say let's let's do stuff together outside the ultimate, and just never really clicked. Mm-hmm. And then um, when we got here, we formed our life group, started hanging out. I think one day, just like you and Hayden were talking, and Hayden invited you to come to life group, mm-hmm. and then you showed up to life group and just kind of observe what, what what went on in life group, and then you kind of do you remember what you said that night? <laughs> uh, I think it was along the lines of, along the lines of this is uh, a very open vulnerable group sure it's very weird yeah it's strange. No. Yeah. yeah but and not normal yeah um i think i don't know but you did you said something else and that kind of just stuck with me you, you just said you've been trying to hang out with me all these months and all this stuff I mean, yeah. and i never knew why you wanted to hang out with me you keep asking me good questions and intentional questions i, mean, I never understood why but now that i'm here and i see this is the type of community you belong to it makes sense now because this is what you do. This is how you form friendship. This, you're part of a community that genuinely care about each other. That's why you cared about me. Like it was like when you said, I was like, oh, that that is exactly what what Jesus is talking about. They will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. Mm-hmm. Like for you and Hayden, it didn't quite make sense. We'll just Hayden by himself. But as soon as you put Hayden and all of us in together in a group, and yeah. for you to say, oh, this is why you guys do what you do. That makes it sense is, now. It is. Like, it like, just kind of clicked. It's still weird, but it yeah. just clicked. <laughs> like, the questions he asked me is very probing, but yeah. not too, yeah. like... Tell me about your deepest fear, dude. Yeah, it was one of those. <laughs> but it, it came from a, a group that was, that you guys, it was normal for you guys to do that. It was yeah. normal for you guys to 
ask those types of questions because you guys want to be in each other's lives that way. And that was the same thing he was doing. It just came off incredibly weird. Yeah. But, uh, but it makes sense. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was just kind of like, yeah. oh, this is why we do mission together as a group because it's a much better representation yeah. as opposed to Hayden just trying to do it on himself. That whole mentality that mission is something you do together as opposed to something you do on your own. That informs so much of the way that we go about doing church. So even what we talked about last week with life groups and the reason we want everybody to be in a life group, uh, part of that is not just, we don't want our life groups to just become like this holy huddle of people that know right. each other and they're all and everybody's a Christian and they all are on the same page and all that. We actually <coughs> want our life groups to be a tool for people to come around and see what it looks like when a group of people love one another. Um, because that ultimately is how they're going to get the best picture of who Jesus is. I think we may have even mentioned it or we'll mention it at some point. But First uh, John talks about no one has ever seen God, but if people see the way we love one another, they see right. God. They understand what God's like or they start to understand what God's like. It's also the reason that when we planted a church in Knoxville, it wasn't just like me and Jeff and our families because that would have been very hard for the community of Knoxville to see how we love one another but that's all it was that's why we brought 25 people to come and do life together because we believe that ultimately that's the best way for Knoxville to get to see who Jesus is so this it influences the way we go about almost everything we do as a church family is this belief that mission is something you do together it's a team sport and that's not to say that you aren't ever a missionary on your own it's just not the primary Make sense? Cool. Um, all right, so the last section. Um, one, of the thing, one of the reasons that I think mission sounds <coughs> intimidating to so many people, or even some of the pushback when it comes to being a missionary, is uh, how do I have time to do that? Like there's just this mentality of, I've got a full-time job, I'm a parent, whatever. How in the world am I supposed to find the time to be a missionary in my everyday life? The, the thing about that is, though, it assumes that mission is something you have to add to your life, when really, mission is just how you go about your everyday life. So I want us to look at Acts chapter 17, verses 26 <coughs> and 27. Somebody want to read that out loud? Acts 17, 26 through 27. 17, 26, 27? Yep. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, <coughs> though he is not far from each one of us. Yeah. So what, what is essentially being said <laughs> in that passage is that God laid out the times and places that you and I would live. So you live in the neighborhood you live in for a reason. You, you go to school where you go to school for a reason. You work where you work for a reason. Everything about your life, God has actually handpicked that stuff so that you might be a missionary in those contexts. So mission is not so much something you add to your life as it is how you go about everything in your life. Mission is not so much something you add to your life as it is how you go about everything in your life. So mission is not an extra thing you start doing as much as it's the purpose behind everything else. Mission is the purpose behind everything else. I think it's that um, 
So, whenever we talk about this, I feel like uh, there's this uh, people people think we're saying something that we're not. Um, so when I say you should be a missionary wherever you are, I am not saying that uh, Marcus, as a graphic designer at UT, should start start putting the Jesus fish on like every design that he makes and like a Bible verse down at the bottom. Uh, and it may go over very well around here, though. That is true. It might already do it. It would work great for people who are already Christians. They would be like, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm also not saying, so Hayden that makes videos for UT, I'm not saying he should put a Bible verse at the end of every video. I'm not saying that they should have really awkward, forced conversations with people about, yeah, the reason I'm so awesome is because of Jesus. None of that Again, is what that we that would get over very well. <laughs> <laughs> Can we fill in the blanks real quick? I think some people missed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first two. Which one? The first two. Oh, the first two. Okay. Uh, mission is not so much something you add to your life as much as it's how you go about everything in your life. And then mission is the purpose behind everything else. So, um, so more what I mean is that uh, Marcus, when he's at his job at a, as, as a designer at UT, uh, when he gets asked to do something on a deadline that is unreasonable, instead of him kicking back and complaining about how everybody's being unfair to him and he doesn't like the job, he just gets to work. And if he needs to, he communicates back, hey, it might take a little more time next time for me to do this well, but I want you to know I'm willing to do it. So maybe it looks like doing his job with passion and not sitting back and complaining and arguing every time something is not fair. Maybe for Hayden, it looks like that he's going to work really hard to not just do the tasks that he's been given as a videographer, but to go over and beyond <coughs> and to actually communicate what was meant to be communicated and even in higher level than what he was asked to. And maybe it looks like in everyday relationship with people at their job, they don't just see it as I show up to my job, I punch the clock, and I punch out when I'm done, and that's all you can ask of me. It looks like I, I view my job as simply one other place in my life that I get to build relationships with other people and hopefully get to show them what Jesus is about. So it's, it's the purpose behind everything that you do. It's not so much, well, i got to schedule you know, two hours in my week to be missional. That's, that's not how mission works. Mission is something that you, you do. It's a part of who you are. It's built into everything you do on a daily basis and how you go about it. That being said, um, there are two specific tools that we like to highlight that really help when it comes to being missionaries. The two tools are hospitality and generosity. So um, the idea of hospitality, we'll start with that one comes up over and over again in the Bible. The, in the New Testament, the church is commanded to show hospitality. Now, when I say hospitality, I feel like usually what comes to most people's minds is like Martha Stewart, like decorating your house perfect, like you know how to make like the coolest little like finger foods for people to enjoy all the time. Like it's, it's about like the southern hospitality image comes into people's minds. That stuff is great, and if that's your thing, go for it. That is not exactly what's meant by biblical hospitality, though. Biblically, the word hospitality simply is actually made up of two words. So philod, which simply, simply means to love, and then exenia, which means the stranger. So you've probably heard people, especially lately with all this stuff going on in the government, talk about xenophobia, which means fear of the stranger. Felixenia is the opposite. It's the love of the stranger. Um, so to show hospitality simply means to pursue relationship and care for somebody who
who is not currently a part of your friend group or your immediate circle. Put another way, hospitality is the act of making an outsider feel like an insider. Hospitality is the act of making an outsider feel like an insider. It's that moment when you look across the room and you see someone at some social gathering or at some place that feels uncomfortable, that feels unnatural, and you go, you know what? It's my job to help them make help make them feel more comfortable. And some of it is even going, huh, if the option is I stay over here with my friend group and I don't feel awkward and they're over there feeling awkward because they don't have a friend group here, it's going, you know what? It's more important that I feel awkward in going to talk to them than, than me staying over here and feeling comfortable with my friend group. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the spirit of hospitality, is that we look for ways to welcome people into relationship who we might not would normally associate ourselves with. They don't like all the same things that we like. They aren't already in our friend group. They don't care about things that we care about. It's going and seeking relationship with people who are unlike you. That's what biblical hospitality is meant to communicate. Um, so, uh, so we'll just talk real specifically for a second about this in our church. Our church as a whole is, ma- is made up of a lot of young professionals, young married couples, and young families. If that's true, who is going to most naturally feel like outsiders when they come around our church? <coughs> older folks. <laughs> older folks. It's, it's actually funny that he raised his hand right when you said older folks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's something an older folks <laughs> But it's true, right? So if, if that's the if that currently is the age group of our church, if that's the fabric of our group, yeah, people that come around with gray hair. I don't think JR's got any gray hair. I got a few like just a few. I meant from more of the relationship aspect. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, well, and I, I will say, so our church is growing a little bit, and we've got more and more single folks coming around, which I am so thankful for, um, just because. We don't want it to be all one stage of life. Yeah. And, yeah, there's some, some degree to which I would say specifically college students, some single folks, and then especially older people, people with gray hair, or even just people who have teenagers. Does that make sense? Like people that their kids aren't, you know, five and under <laughs> um, are going to feel a little bit like outsiders. So if that's true, what it would look like for us to be a hospitable group of people is that we go out of our way to pursue relationship with those people because we know they're most naturally going to feel like an outsider. So that's one of the things that we are really passionate about when it comes to mission is we want to look for ways whenever we can be hospitable, we want to be that. Especially with us wanting to stay in a downtown area, so we'll get a lot of young professionals, college students, and I'll even say some people who are in the homeless situation. Like, all these are people that's when they come around, they're going, I feel like an outsider right now because the most people here are not where I'm at. And for us, it's going, I want to invite all these people into relationship because it, it ultimately the reason why hospitality is so important to us and even that we're teaching it right now is because that is a reflection of the gospel. Jesus invited us in when we had nothing in common. In fact, the Bible will describe us that we're enemies of God, and he invited us in regardless still. And describes us as strangers. So yeah, and describes us as strangers. Strangers and aliens. Yeah, so when we, when, we sit, when we talk about practicing hospitality, it is a, for us, is a direct application of what it looks like to be Jesus-centered. Yep. So which is what the first week we're talking about. So which is why the first week kind of in, 
it flows down to everything we do. And the, honestly, the, <coughs> the last two weeks of our class is actually a direct application of the first week, believe it or not. So when we talk about hospitality, it points back to what it's looked like for us to be remain centered on the gospel, remain centered the, with, um, with Jesus in mind. And hospitality is a very, to us, a very natural application of, you, have, you, don't, you don't have nothing in common, but I'm going to pursue that relationship because that is how I was welcomed in, you know? Um, and, and with all that being said, so, I mean, now that we know what the spirit of hospitality is, it's making an outsider feel like an insider. Um, all that being said, that at some point is going to involve inviting people into your home. Right, so it's not it's not less than inviting people to uh, into your home, but it certainly is more than that. And part of the reason for that is to welcome someone into your home is to welcome them into relationship. To welcome someone into your home is to welcome them into relationship. In our culture, that is hyper individualistic, and my, it's like people just think about their home as that's where I go to retreat from the world. When you use your home to invite people in and develop relationship with them. That is so countercultural from the way that the rest of our culture thinks about their house. Does that make sense? Um, so, with that in mind, let me clarify. Um, the purpose, though, is not that you would have a squeaky clean home. So, I know a lot of times when we talk about hospitality involving inviting people over, there's this thing of like, man, I don't feel like my house is big enough. It's not nice enough. It's not clean enough. I don't know how to make good enough food, all of that. And, and I'll go ahead and say, if you, if you are good at doing that, if you've got a great home and you're good at cooking and all of that, go for that. Like, that's fantastic. That stuff, though, is independent of the spirit of hospitality. No. You can have a messy home and be the most hospitable person in the world. You cannot know how to cook and order in pizza and be just as hospitable if you would have been, than if you would have prepared a meal. Uh, you can have a tiny apartment and still be the most hospitable person in the world. That stuff is completely independent from the spirit of hospitality. So I want to take the pressure off of any of us who are like, uh, my home isn't really set up for being hospitable. Let me just set you free from that. That's not what hospitality is about. Um, and that, simply put, hospitality isn't about impressing people. Hospitality is about getting to know people. Hospitality isn't about impressing people. It's about getting to know people. Does that make sense on hospitality? Cool. All right. Very lastly, everybody's favorite topic, generosity. Um, so nobody likes it when the church talks about money. We're aware of that. Including um, us. Do I? Including us. Including so, yeah, us. We don't true. like talking about money. Yeah. But here's the reason we feel the need to bring it up. According to Jesus, how we handle our money and possessions is massively important. Case in point, Jesus talked about money more in the four Gospels than he did about heaven and hell combined. It's the second most addressed topic in Jesus' teaching right after the kingdom of God, and that's just because the kingdom of God is all-encompassing, right? So he talks about it a lot. Um, in, in the Gospel of Luke specifically, one out of every seven verses has something to do with your money and possessions. So Jesus does not have the same hesitancy of talking about money that a lot of us do in America. And I think that's because in America, we tend to lean more materialistic when it comes to how we view our money and possessions. But for us, if it's something that Jesus talks about all the time as being a helpful way to figure out where we're at with things, it doesn't make sense for us to bypass the topic. 
because Jesus seemed to think it was really helpful. So um, a lot of what Jesus taught on money comes back to this one concept. This is Matthew 6, verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this passage kind of means two things. First, your money reveals what you care about. Your money reveals what you care about. That's one thing that Jesus means by this. Jesus talks about people's money because he believes it's a direct window into where their heart's at in regards to life and everything else. Jesus knows that you can find out what a person cares the most about by looking at where the bulk of their money goes to. So if you say you care a lot about something and there's none of your money going towards it, then your wallet might get to call you a liar, if that makes sense. Your money reveals what you care most about in the world. So for me, the budget I go over every single month in our budget is eating out. Like, I, I love to eat at restaurants all the time. Like, that's, that is the one thing that I'm constantly going over. That tells you something about my heart. I value food. I value food very highly. And that's why I'm always going over. That's why it's hard for me to get that budget in check, because that's what I care about. Um, but here's the cool thing, and this is actually more what Jesus means by this verse. That same principle actually works in reverse. So it's both you can tell what you care about, by where your money goes, and also you can use your money to change what you care about. Does that make sense? So it actually flows both ways. It's also true that your money has the ability to change what you care about. Uh, you can, if you can tell what you care about most by what you spend your money on, you can also change what you care about by changing what you do with your money. Here's a really silly example we use to illustrate this. I currently care nothing about the company Kraft Foods. Like, other than the fact that they make delicious mac and cheese made mostly out of science, yeah. I, I care nothing about the company. Like, I don't, I don't care who their CEO is. I don't care what business decisions they make on a daily basis. I could absolutely care less about Kraft Foods. But let's just say I decided to invest $10,000 in Kraft Foods stock. Do I now care about the company Kraft Foods? Yeah. I absolutely care about them. I'm going to look up who their CEO is. I'm going to look at where he's been before he was at Kraft Foods. <laughs> Did he do a good job? Should I be pushing for him to get fired? Like, I'm going to care a lot about Kraft Foods. And it's because I changed where my money was. And so now it's actually starting to change what I care about. That's a really silly example. But there's a million other ways that that works. So uh, f for me... One of the ways that Anna and I started keeping an eye out for needs in our city that needed attention, that needed care, is we started looking for organizations in our city that we could be generous towards. Because we knew, like, when we first moved here, it was like we didn't care a lot about what was going on with CARM or what was going on with bridge refugees or all of that. And then we started looking into how can we send some of our money towards those organizations, and all of a sudden we started caring. So money is one of those things. And it doesn't always work this way with other areas of our life. Money is so volatile that when we put our money somewhere, it actually starts to pull our heart with it. And that's one of the principles that Jesus is trying to get across with Matthew chapter 6. Um, all right, here's one of the massive implications of what we're talking about here. God works through the generosity of his people. God works through the generosity of his people. 
specifically here in America, where people care so much about their money and their stuff and their possessions, being freed up to use your money well looks radically different from the world around you. Let me show you this quote. This is one of my favorite quotes when it comes to generosity in the church. This is by a pastor in New York named Tim Keller. He's talking about the early church. He says, The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave practically nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. People in the early church didn't know what to do with the fact that followers of Jesus were so radically generous with their money. It was completely baffling to them. And it's a lot of times, if you read through the book of Acts, it's part of what draws people to the early church, that they just didn't see their stuff as belonging to them. They saw it as belonging to the community. So let's get real practical for a second. Two practical steps towards generosity. If you're wanting to change what you care about, to care about kingdom things, here are two steps that are extremely practical. For a city church member, here's what we ask you to aim for in terms of generosity. Number one, that you set a budget for it, that you set a budget for generosity. Here's why we say that. It is very easy for all of us to go, yeah, I'll be generous, like when there's a need. Like when a need comes up, I'll totally be generous and give money to that. The problem is we usually end up spending most of our money before the end of the month, and so then when a need comes up, it's like, I can't be generous. I don't have enough money to be generous. What actually works better, just like with anything else in life, is if you actually put it as a line item on your budget. So for me and Anna, we have a line item on our budget that is called generosity. And some of that goes towards organizations in our city. Some of that goes towards uh, people in our life group. Like if somebody has a, some kind of life situation happen where you know, their car blows up or they, something happens in their life where they need some money, well, we've already got that money budgeted so we don't have to think and pray about, uh, can we give money or not? It's like, no, it's in the budget. We absolutely can give that much. It's just a question of where it goes. And then honestly, at the end of the month, if we've still got some of that money left over, if we haven't spent our entire budget for generosity, we just go looking for somebody to bless. Who can we take out for a nice dinner? Who can we, who can we hang out with that we wouldn't normally get to and let's, let's pay for whatever we go do? And here's a very practical, real-life example that we have seen so far being in the city of Knoxville. Someone that's part of our church family lost a child um, recently. And it was... I just sent out an email to everyone in our church family going, all right, guys, this is tough. Like, not only they have the medical expense, you know, of, um, of going through the pregnancy and even delivering the child, now they got a memorial service they have to uh, pay for, and on top of, we, they're going to need grief counseling. They're going to need a lot of things like this. The pain that they're feeling right now is a long-term <coughs> effect. I would love for us to help in every way we can by, you know, offering to pay, you know, like bringing meals to their and stuff. And I, I want us to set aside some money to go ahead to help pay for memorial fund or even get them into counseling. And the, just send that email, and then I got an overwhelming response from everybody because a lot of people implemented this. They go, yeah. They look at their generosity. I got this much. Boom, send it over. Yep. We're able to pay for the memorial fund, and they actually, they, they actually are actively doing grief counseling right now with the money from the church that people have set aside. You know, like that's, that's what I'm saying. It's... That, that is a, such a, it's a proactive way to, you know, no one anticipate these things happening, but we all know how life works. It, it will happen to, you know, like, you know, the prayer is that it won't happen to any of us, but it will happen, you know, we, things will come up that we, there's out of our control, we can, 
and then God's people are going to come around and rally and going, all right, because we are family, we're going to do this together. And then we, so we were able to love on this family, and then they're, and they're taking, I have to say, they're actually working through all those things. And it's, it is a very beautiful picture of how God, God really does work through the generosity of his people. And it was, it was just nice because it was immediate. Like, no one had to go, I'll give you in, in two months or whatever. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. We got this money set aside. How, how can I do more? <laughs> you know, and it's like, I think we got enough. I asked them how much they needed. We got, we actually ended up having too much money. It's like, all right, let's just hold on to it, you know, like, you know, for future, future, future things. But, and that was just super encouraging for me. It's like, man, that's great. That's, that was so, that was a beautiful picture of what it's supposed to be. And just real bright, it reminded me when you said going over the amount. So one thing that Anna and I try to do too is like, every other budget line item when we go over consistently we're like okay what steps do we need to take do we need to do the cash system if you're familiar with that like how do we need to get this one budget under control the generosity budget is the one that we don't get mad about like it's like if we spent more than we were supposed to spend on generosity this much this month who even cares like it's not a big deal and the reason for that is because we know as americans our tendency is going to be to be under generous and so we're never mad about it if we're over generous um, and that, that's just how we like to think about money. Um, so real practically, I know that probably we're all over the map in regards to where we're at financially in here. I know for you, maybe putting that as a line item sounds really intimidating. Here's what I'd say. Start small. If you can budget five bucks a month for generosity, start there. And then maybe after a few months of doing that, bump it up to 15 bucks. Then see if you can bump it up to 50. Whatever you want to do, just start somewhere. Because here's what I've learned. There's no way you will ever be generous by accident. It, it, it takes intentionally structuring your budget in order to be generous. So that's the first thing we ask is that you set a budget for generosity for you and your family. Number two, that you tithe. Number two, that you tithe. <clears throat> this is the extra fun one to talk about as a pastor. Um, so I know that churches all over the world get a bad rap for talking about tithing because you've got pastors that buy planes and stuff. Um, Jeff and I have no planes, first of all, um, nor do we plan on having planes at any point in the immediate future. Um, we are glad we are very open in how we handle our money. If you want to know how we handle our money at City Church, we are glad to show you the numbers. We've got nothing to hide on that front. Um, we also try to be generous as a church, like as in our church budget, we try to budget for generosity. Um, but the reality is, if our money shows us what we care about, and we say that we care about the local church that we're a part of, but none of our money is contributing to the local church we're a part of, I think Jesus would say we may not care about it in the way that we think we do. Because what Jesus says is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So... We tithe, Jeff and I tithe, even though some of it goes to pay us. Like we still tithe because it's a healthy practice to set up tithing. So if you're a member of City Church, we ask that you give, that you use 10% to the local church as a starting point for generosity. That's not the same thing as generosity to people in our city and people in your life group, but we do ask that you do that. And part of that is it takes money to do ministry. So the place that we meet on, on Sundays takes money for them to open the doors so that we can meet there. We want Jeff and I to free it up to, for it not to be a burden on our families that we're in ministry. So we want to be able to pay a decent wage to Jeff and I. There's all kinds of other stuff we use our money through City Church to do. And we just ask that you guys participate in that as part of, part of being a member of City Church. So um, kind of like we said, so uh, with Life Group, 
um, when we said we asked that every member of City Church be a part of a life group, when you go through the Bible, you won't see a verse that says you have to be a part of a life group to be a Christian. Life groups didn't exist in the Bible. You won't find that. But it does say over and over again that we're called to be a part of a community. We're called to belong to a group of people and do life with other people, confess your sins to one another, all of that stuff. In a similar way, people will debate with you all day long as to whether the Bible teaches in the New Testament to give 10% to the local church. I honestly think it does, but I don't really care about getting into that argument. What we're saying is to be a part of City Church, we ask that you start there. And that's just a part of us all making sure that when we say we care about the local church we belong to, that we're actually being honest with ourselves about that. Does that make sense? Because as a as a as a church family, we we want the people of Knoxville to come to know Jesus. Um, so I want to make sure that we our our, our wallets actually represent that as well. Um, that we we're actively trying to make our city better for either meeting the needs to preaching the gospel to them. We want to make sure we're like our bank accounts don't call us a liar when we say we actually care about our city. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and again, with the, we know that we're all over the map in regards to financial situations, so here's what we say. If, if, that, if that is the one thing holding you back from becoming a member, and you're like, man, I really want to become a member, but we're just not at a place right now where we can give 10%, uh, come talk to me and Jeff. The first question we're going to ask is how can we help? Are you in financial need, and how can our church help contribute to that? Um, that's the first question we're going to ask. And then we're going to help, if you'd like, with coming up with a plan to get there in regards to generosity and with tithing because we, we want to help in any way we can. So that's we're not drawing a hard and fast line. We know there are seasons you go through where it is more difficult to do that, and we are very understanding of that. Um, so if, if that's an issue and that's the one thing that's holding you up, come and talk to us about it. We are going we to work with you on all of that. So don't, don't let that be a barrier if that's the one thing that is. Yeah, once once we, we did a membership class, um, a husband and wife came up to me, and they're just like, man, like she, I can tell her she was in borderline tears when she walked up. And the husband just said, we really want to join the church, but um, she's got stage four cancer. Our, we're drained budget-wise. I got no, we got no money. We can't tithe. And our response is, no, don't. That's fine. Like, I join don't, the church. Don't join the church, <laughs> and I don't care about tithing. That yeah. we're more. How can we help as a church family? Like yeah. that. My, I'm not after your money. Like in the same way, I don't think Jesus is really after our money. He's he's actually after our hearts and the things that we love. You know. So it's like, I, that's fine. We don't. The thing that we need to talk about right now is not tithing. <laughs> the thing we need to talk about is how can we love and care for you guys as you guys go through this season. You know. So for a lot, of, when it comes to like tithing and stuff, it's like we know. Like I can say, it's we're all over the map. We're at different. I, that's fine. Like, just bring in me and Ken so we know how to help and how to shepherd um, you guys. So it's it's this is not a thing that we check after everyone's W two going. Eh, that's nine point eight percent. We need to give them a call. You know, it's like we don't we don't that's we don't care about that. That's not what we're after. But like I said, the like when Jesus is talking about money, it really he's after our hearts ultimately, and that's that's the thing that we, I want to make sure that we we our hearts is actually pointed towards. What Jesus is after, what why why he put us at the the church on planet Earth, and making sure we accomplish that mission. Yeah. So, um, and then if it's if 
you're actually good with it and, and you're just looking for how to do that, we try to make it super easy to give to City Church. Jeff and I looked at a lot of like online giving options that were like trapped in the 1980s of the internet. Uh, and so we didn't use those and we used instead one that's current. So it's actually super easy to set up and we can send you a link and all that. It's, it's super easy to do. But just we wanted to... We, it's one of those things that it's like, as a pastor, you hate to talk about money, and there's something to Jesus brings it up over and over again because he thinks it's an insight into what we actually care about. So for us as pastors, while we hate talking about money, we feel like we wouldn't be serving you guys as pastors to not talk about money. And, so Ken's, not, and Ken's not telling guys this. Like we, we came from backgrounds of churches where... Yeah. Once every other month, it seems like they talk about tithing, and we're just so like we're just so over it to some degree. Like they just money is being talked about all the time, so we sometimes overcorrect. Going, I just don't ever want to talk about money. I don't because I don't. I, we've been part of churches that seem that, so we're very turned off by it. Uh, and to some degree, we kind of overcorrected, <laughs> so we're just really hesitant. And then it's even so when we teach this, a lot of times we we kind of we are reminding ourselves that man, Jesus talks about money a lot. So as pastors, we do should bring it up occasionally <laughs> maybe not to the extent of every other month at the churches that we've been a part of but as pastors we do have to mention it because jesus talks about it a lot so yeah and kind of in summary so those are the two tools hospitality generosity the goal is that we, as city church we want to exist for the good of our city we want to be a church just like god said to abraham we, we are blessed in order to be a blessing. The reason God has given us relationships with each other, the reason he's given us a space to meet in this city is so that we can be a city that actively benefits, so that we can be a church that actively benefits the city of Knoxville. Um, and so that looks like us doing this thing together, us being on mission together and not being solo rogue missionaries. Uh, and that looks like all of our life being living as missionaries in our everyday life, um, everyday context. And that looks like hospitality and generosity and a lot of other things. But that's all the ways that we kind of seek to live for the benefit of Knoxville.